Hey everyone, welcome to Ben Better, How About You? I'm your host, Katie Nara, and I've suffered from depression nearly my entire life. It sucks. This is a podcast that focuses on mental health, broken down in a relatable way, and told through personal experiences. P.S. I'm not a doctor, but each week my guests and I will cover everything from recognizing symptoms of anxiety and depression to providing accessible tips, tools, and resources that support mental wellness. So get your weekly prescription with me. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Ben Better, How About You? I'm your host, Katie Nara, and today we have Dr. Judd Brewer joining us. He's a thought leader in the field of habit change and the science of self-mastery. He has more than 20 years experience with mindfulness training. Dr. Judd is the Director of Research and Innovation at the Mindfulness Center and an Associate Professor in Psychiatry at the School of Medicine at Brown University, as well as the Executive Medical Director of Behavioral Health at ShareCare and a research affiliate at MIT. His most recent book is titled Unwinding Anxiety, and I feel like this book was written for me. <laughs> Dr. Judd, can I call you that? Is that what you yes. like to go by? Okay. Yeah. Um, how are you? I've been better. Okay. Okay. I've heard that. I've heard that on the street. Uh, okay. I have so many questions for you, but, so I just want to dive in. I read your book, so maybe a lot of people interviewing you maybe didn't read your book, so I feel like I'm going to get extra points already, I hope. Absolutely. I'm okay. better already. Because <laughs> I can read. In your book, since I feel like anxiety is on everyone's minds, right? You say how anxiety is contagious, like COVID-19. It's a social contagion. Um, and the pandemic aside, if we can even say that, like put the pandemic aside, why do you think anxiety is at an all-time high? Well, I think the biggest driving force that I've seen is because our brains don't like uncertainty and there's just a growing amount of uncertainty. So this was even BC before COVID-19. Yeah, you use that. That's fair. I mean, I grew up strict Catholic, so I was laughing during the book. You're like, BC. Is that a term that's become popular? I, yes, extremely popular. <laughs> <laughs> I have no BC, idea. BC means before COVID, everyone. Anyway, yeah. go on. Yeah, so if you think about it, there is, you know, there's uncertainty environmentally, there's uncertainty economically, there's uncertainty politically. Right. And that started, you know, that certainly was way BC and also has been ramping up. You know, we just using an example of politics, if you look at the political landscape, you know, after the 2016 election, you know, Trump was really, regardless of whether you're a Trump fan or not a Trump fan, he was really good at keeping people guessing, like, what's he going to say next? Yeah. And that drives so drives some people crazy where they're like, <laughs> oh, I can't stand the uncertainty. And some people are like, yeah, what's going to be next? I can't right. wait. Yeah. I feel like people that didn't even like him grew almost addicted to his craziness, you know, yeah. just to talk about it. Yeah. And that's actually an evolutionarily conserved feature. That's that's set up to help us survive. Yet in modern day, when we're really not being chased by saber tooth tigers and we're just like waiting for that next tweet, it's yeah. problematic to say the least. I mean, to be honest, for me, anxiety, probably because I have ADHD, I really do have it. I know a lot of people, it's like the trendy thing. Anxiety can help motivate me. And I know you talk about that. And there are certain patients that are like, wait, what am I without my anxiety, you know? And I'm still learning how to use it in a healthy way where it can be motivating and not just like stress out with procrastination because there's a quote from, I, I hope I'm saying her name, is it Caroline Sutton? Mm -hmm. Is that how you say it? That you, um, if you're stressed, you're making a contribution. If you're not stressed, you're a loser. So in this day and age, I feel like it's trendy to be stressed and anxious. Because you're making a contribution. Yeah. <laughs> don't, do, you, do you feel like that is more though in America, right? Than in Europe or other places? Or you feel like it's on the planet since COVID or... I don't know. I mean, I feel like it used to be more American, but now is it everywhere? It it might be that social contagion may be spreading yeah. across the world. We're great at spreading things like obesity and smoking <laughs> and things like that. 
So yeah, maybe spreading across the world, but regardless, I mean, it is such a thin veil that, you know, it's kind of, it's, it's important for us to look in the mirror and see that the emperor is not wearing clothes here, <laughs> you know? Right. Oh, I'm yeah. stressed. I must be making a contribution. No, you're just stressed. You know, you can make contributions without being stressed. In fact, the research shows that the more stressed we are, the worse our brain works in terms of thinking. And really? Planning. Yeah. Yeah, there's no evidence to show that anxiety actually improves performance. Now, ah, call me out on that. Yes, let's no, go. I would no, I want to know because <laughs> my I've I've been in therapy my whole life, and I'll send you my bill after after this show for you know totally psychoanalyzing me, and you know when you have less of the neurotransmitters meeting. And so then you purposely procrastinate. So you get the dopamine hit. And then I feel like I can work better sometimes. Like even with, you know, I waited till yesterday to write the interview. You know what I mean? Why did I not, why did I wait till yesterday to write the interview? You know, and I was able to like really, you know, fire it off. And this is great where if not, it's really hard. And I feel like for a lot of people that may have a learning disability, that is hard. So you kind of thrive on that last minute, pro, you know, like the adrenaline rush. What'd you say? Yeah. That that adrenaline rush. The adrenaline, like, cause you're missing that normally. And yes, I have take some medication that helps with it. But when you get that hit, it does help you be able to work in a way that I think normal people can work, but someone that struggles with that, it's hard. So how do you correlate that with stress not being helpful? Yeah, how do you work with that? So what we would need to do is clone you. <laughs> and then we would do the parallel experiment, okay? So let's imagine we clone you and then there's you yesterday that's like, oh crap, I have this deadline, I put it off. Right. And the adrenaline drives you and jacks you up and you're like, I'm gonna do this. And then your other you is totally, uh, let's see, Have you? do you know who Chloe Kim is? She's a Olympian. She, she won the gold medal half pipe in 2018 in the Winter okay. Olympics. I, so anyway. I don't, but already that you're saying an Olympic athlete, I, I get the, the so, idea. So let, she, when she was doing her runs, uh, yeah. it was electric because she was just so in the groove. She crushed it. Okay. Now, was did she look nervous at all? No, she was in flow. If you look at, uh, how about Usain Bolt? Do you know him? Yes, yes, yes. Okay. He's the one that so, always did this. Yeah, yeah. And he's also... <laughs> How big is that smile as he's running? As he is running. Yeah. 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 Does, he look, does he look stressed? No. No. He's like, I am crushing it. <laughs> In fact, I'm so fast, I can look left and right and see that nobody's even close to me. Like, that's how much he's in flow. So that's, there's clear, those are clear examples of where actually when we perform our best, we're actually not stressed at all. So- okay. The cloned you where you're stressed and you're trying to meet that deadline, it might help you meet that deadline. But if that other you that is just totally in the flow of doing it, which one do you think is going to do a better job at prepping for the interview? I don't know. I can read faster <laughs> when I'm stressed. I don't know. I think because, no, it's really interesting to me because, I mean, reading your book and doing the app, it's like you're like following me around constantly in the blue shirt. That's very good that you like, you can go to other things on your phone. And for those of you listening, Dr. Brewer has a really great app. That's the unwinding anxiety app. Sorry, the unwinding around, anxiety. Yeah. It's been around for a couple of years, long enough that we've been able to do some clinical research with it to, to see how well it works. Okay. So it is, it's, it's annoying, but it's, you know, in a good way, it's annoying. In a good way. <laughs> but yeah, like the, the fact that like, it's almost like YouTube where it just keeps playing. That's smart. Is that your idea? It, it's our team did a great job. That's just... it's very good. But yeah, I, I feel like I think because when I was acting full time and you'd have to just learn these lines the night before, you know, you'd get stuff last minute. It just, you just get in the habit of doing that. So mm -hmm. I don't know. I'd have to try. I have to get in the habit of working a different way. Yeah. So that's the thing to explore it, you know, getting back to your question, is it stress that actually drives us better than non-stress? Well, there's no research to show that that's actually the case. 
Okay. And like you're talking about, this can actually become a habit. I see this a huge amount, both in my clinic and also with our unwinding anxiety program, where people are really caught up in this procrastination habit loop. And then it feels like that's the only way they can function. That's the only way they can get things done is waiting for the last minute. As an example, I had a patient just recently who was just, she's a graduate student and she was Mm -hmm. talking about how, you know, when she puts things Mm -hmm. off into the last minute, she can not only blame it on procrastinating, but if she doesn't do as well as she expects, she can blame that on the procrastination as well as compared to it being a moral failure on her part. Um, yeah, that I mean, that could be part of it. That then you can be like, oh, well, if I really, you know, took more time or it would have been better or, but it's, it's an interesting way of thinking, which actually brings me to my next question of the, you talk about the three habit loops. Mm-hmm. One of the things I found most helpful, I actually feel, I think because I'm visual, I like to actually see the words. Reading the book really sort of honed, like drove home more of the stuff I was learning from the app because I'm only on week three, I think now. I see how you lock, you lock it. It's like, you know your audience very well. (laughs) Even in the beginning when you were like, oh, if you want me to shut up or you're like, I know, I know, I know what you're saying, just skip to this. And I was like, oh, please, enough, enough, enough. But um, no, I really thought it was really helpful, like mapping out your habits. And I will tell you mine in a minute, but is there a way you can explain like someone to do this easiest at home? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's really, that's the first. So the book is set up in three steps. The first step is being able to map out our habit loops. So we created a habit mapper based on some, I, I just actually, here's an example, real life example of how I figured this out, which was. The uh, I had a patient come in who was referred for anxiety. I actually write about him in my book. And, you know, yes, Dave in the book. Okay, the Uber driver. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I don't want to spoil it. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, he's a good story. Okay. Yeah. So he had no idea how his mind worked. And long story short, he had full blown panic disorder, he had full blown generalized anxiety disorder. And I just pulled out a blank piece of paper. And what I, my lab had been studying habit change for years. And so what I knew was, you know, any habit is formed through this three-step process, a trigger, a behavior, and a result. But most people don't know that. And they don't know that habits like anxiety can actually be driven that way, or the anxiety can be driven, driven habitually. So I just pulled out this piece of paper as I was taking his history and I asked him, so you know, am, am I getting this right? Because he was describing how he would be on the highway, he'd be driving and get a panic attack. And then right. that led him to avoid driving on the highway. And then he felt, you know, he could avoid those panic attacks. So basically we just mapped this out and he has this aha moment as though he'd never seen, you know, it just never occurred to him before that this could be driven like a habit. And he's like, right. oh my God. So we put together this habit mapper that anybody can download. It's free. It's just the website's mapmyhabit.com. Oh, great. Okay. So they yeah. can download, you don't Anybody have to do can the download app. it. Okay. It explains the habit loop. It gives them some worksheets that they can just go throughout their day and map out whatever habit it is, whether it's anxiety related, procrastination, stress, eating, anything. Right. And that's the first step. You know, if we don't know how our minds work, we can't possibly work with them. And so anybody can start to see, you know, how they're being driven, like 97% of waking life, we're doing something habitual. Absolutely. No, it's true. Actually, don't quote me on that stat, but a lot. (laughs) (laughs) 96.4%. We're doing like something that's habitual. Yeah. Well, if you think about it, it's a survival mechanism. So imagine waking up every morning and having to relearn how to walk, how to put on your clothes, how to make your breakfast, how to make coffee, whatever. You'd be exhausted by breakfast. You wouldn't even make it to the coffee making stage. Right. Right. You'd be crawling. Yeah. Not even. Okay. Yeah, it's, I think what's most interesting is that you talk about have a habit or one of your habit loops. It's like, there's a trigger, a behavior, and then the reward, right? Mm-hmm. Or is it the yeah. result? And for me, like what I knew this before, but after doing the app and reading the book, I really became clear where I stress shop. Mm. This is horrible to admit to everyone, but it's, I stress shop online. So I will be in the middle of, you know, even when I was writing this, it was, you know, I'm writing the interview and then I'm like, you know what? I I need to buy some leggings. No, I don't. But like, I'm suddenly buying leggings and, and I would, and especially during COVID, I would buy all this stuff. It would come, then it would stress me out because it'd be more stuff in my house. 
The clothes will be staring at me like, why did you buy us? You don't need us. Then it became more work returning them. So mm -hmm. I had more anxiety and I would just do it over and over again because mm -hmm. the dopamine hit was, you know, finding what you want, or especially if it was something I couldn't find in a certain size. And then I'd have to look somewhere else and it became like this hunt. But in essence, like it wasn't helping me. It's making everything worse, but yeah. I still am doing it. You yeah. know, I mean, I'm doing it less and I know what I'm doing, but like, why do we still do something where we know it's not serving us for a certain time? Yeah, it's the big thing there is that when something is unpleasant, you know, like let's say you're stressed or you got to right. get something done and then your brain says, ooh, this is unpleasant. I want to get away from this. And it says, I have a great idea. Why don't you just go online? Yeah. And then we get this dopamine hit from, oh, maybe I'll find the right leggings. I mean, these will be the perfect ones. <laughs> yeah, my life you know? will change with these leggings. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. <laughs> So, and then we get this brief relief because we're distracting ourselves from the stress. We're not fixing it and we're actually making it worse logically because we're not getting our job, you know, we're not getting things done or we're not yeah. getting at the root cause. But in that moment, we're in dopamine heaven, so to speak. And yeah. ironically, dopamine doesn't actually make us feel good. It makes us feel driven. It says, go do this, go do this, go do this. And there's right. the exciting quality to it. Yeah. And I think if you suffer from depression, that's what can become addictive because your dopamine's low. So suddenly you're like, oh, I'm up. And I realized too, like that came from when I was little and I would be upset, like my mom and I would go to the mall. So it was, you know, pacifying me in a way of, oh, I'm going to shop and that's going to comfort me, mm -hmm. even though in essence it doesn't. So how do you then stop doing that completely? You just keep what did you, you say small steps every day or short moments many times yes yeah I, i'm like your book is i'm not just saying this because i'm interviewing you but i i really am kind of obsessed with it but because it shows me such a different way of living because hmm. i'm so like jam it all in work 24 hours like till you drop dead and then like it'll be great not like short steps every day which part about that will be great? Working very hard, dropping dead. <laughs> no, I, just I, mean, missed, I missed some of that there. I think I mean just like that I'm used to just, you know, you when you described the train or the engine going up the hill and, you know, forcing or when you were doing, maybe it was when you're on your bike, you know, and if you force something like brute yeah. force, and that's yeah. definitely more me. Like yeah. we're going to get this done. We're going to get that done. I've got to finish this script. I have to finish designing these socks. Like, you know, just all like rush, rush, rush. Yeah, right. And that busyness keeps us so busy that we're not actually paying attention to how we feel. And, yeah. you know, so at the end of the day, we're like, was that a good day or a bad day? I don't know, I'm too exhausted. And then we fall asleep, you know, and then yeah. we'd start it over the next day. Well, what kind of life is that? No, it's, it's not, um, it's not good. <laughs> so I'm, <laughs> I've really been working at getting better with that. Um, but it, it's also, do you think it's just that the curiosity part of it? Because you talk about instead of, because if you know something isn't good for you, mm -hmm. right? It doesn't mean you're not going to do it, like with smoking. Or let's say you are an alcoholic or, or an abusive relationship. But it's really that you have to get, if you can talk a little about how you become curious about your own actions or behavior. Yeah, because so if someone told me that, I would be like, "What?" But the, it, when you actually do the app or read the book, it makes sense. Yes. So you ready to nerd out about this? Yes, I'm ready to nerd out. Okay, let's do this. So our do I brain... need a blue shirt and my glasses? <laughs> you... <laughs> <laughs> suddenly like, okay. all right, go on. <laughs> so our brains, they, you know, there's this idea that willpower. You know, we've been talking about this. You know, just do it. Yeah. Just put, you know, brute force all that that we can actually change bad habits that way, which doesn't work. It actually fuels the diet industry because they can say our formula is correct. You know, like more calories out than in, which has been known since, you know, cave person times, but it's really not, you know, they can say, well, you failed the diet. You need to sign up for another year. It's a great yeah. marketing scheme, but the truth is that's not how our brains work. Willpower is more myth than muscle. Right. So here, if you, if you look at the neuroscience, Neuroscience shows pretty clearly, and this has been known for decades, that the only way to change a habit is to update the reward value in our brain. Because our brains are going to do things that feel pleasant, and they're not going to do things that aren't. 
So we keep doing things that are bad for us because they're habitual and we haven't updated the reward value. So right. I'll give an example. My lab just finished a study where we'd been studying this app called Eat Right Now. And what that, what we Is embedded- that a diet app? It's an app to help people. I wouldn't call it a diet app, but it helps people who overeat or stress eat okay. or emotionally eat or, or okay. even binge eat. And the idea is if, if we know this neuroscience, we can actually build it right into the app. And so we can have people pay attention as they eat. And as they eat, they realize, oh, when I overeat, it doesn't actually feel that great. And it only takes, are you ready for this? 10 to 15 times of somebody doing that for that reward value to drop below zero to the point where they shift behavior from overeating to not overeating. Okay. So, only so we're gonna, yeah, it, it's surprising wow. how fast that happens. Well, it, and if you think about it, so I, I can say, oh, it makes sense, but I didn't think it would happen that quickly. Right. But if you think about it, our brains have to be really plastic. You know, you can't be chased 20 times by a saber tooth tiger to realize that that thing is dangerous. You know, you, we, we'd all be dead. Right. Right. So, so we have to adapt pretty quickly. And if something's not good for us, we're, our brain's going to adapt pretty darn quickly. The key to that is one thing, which is awareness. So if we right. do things habitually, we're not paying attention. If we smoke a cigarette and we don't pay attention, we're going to keep smoking. If we overeat and we're not paying attention, we're going to keep overeating. If we worry and we're not being, paying attention, we're going to keep worrying and think, oh, worrying is good for me. No, it's not. It doesn't help. It actually just makes us more anxious. It really does. It's hard for people though that are just thinkers. Like basically what I've learned from your book is like thinking is not good. Oh, I, I like overthinking. Overthinking. Yeah. Overthinking. Yes. Thinking I think is helpful. Uh, overthinking, not so much. Yeah. I once worked with a therapist where he said like for you, it will never serve you to like overthink a decision or action. Cause then I'll just second guess it and get in my head. And like, it, it's like becomes that the habit loop. Where yeah. you just can't get out of it. Yep, that's it. Ugh, it's really interesting. So what if you work, like if your work is something that you have to, like puts you in a stress situation. For instance, like an example would be social media. What if for your work or profession, you have to do um, social media and that stresses you out? Mm -hmm. Is there a way to go about that to make it better? Yes. Because you don't just want to avoid you know, like for, it's, it's not realistic to be like, well, I'll just never go on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter or I'll, or I'll just never go buy a candy store. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah we can't just avoid things that are unpleasant, especially if they're part of life. Yeah. Or if like they help your career or are helpful yeah. for this, like you want to utilize them in the best way you can. And I know for a lot of people, social media creates so much anxiety, yeah. you know, especially for women. Yeah. So let's use social media as an example. I think that's a great one. So if we go on, if we, if social media is important for our, our livelihood right. or a job or whatever, there again, we'll do the cloning experiment. All right. So we can go on social media and you're like, oh, this sucks. This is so stressful. Mm -hmm. And then we get all stressed out. And then that feeds the habit of, oh, next time I think I got to go on social media, it's going to suck. Right. And so we actually get in that mindset of, got to do this. It's a forced march. It sucks, but I'm going to get it done. Right. You can imagine how, <laughs> how helpful that is for our health. Not so helpful. So let's take the other situation. We go on social media and this is where it, the, the last part of my book, I talk about bringing in what I call BBOs, bigger, better offers. So mm -hmm. if we can help see, for example, that procrastination or worrying isn't helpful, we become less excited to do that in the future. And then our brain says, okay, not so great. I get it. Give me something better, right? And so we got to give our brains these BBOs. So here, if we got to go on social media, we can use, I think of curiosity as a superpower because we can actually get curious and we can, everybody's interested in knowing how their own mind works because we're all, you know, we want to, it, it helps us. And it's also right. generally interesting to us like, oh, I, I get myself a little bit more. So here, if we if we are about to go on social media, we can just get curious, huh, am I stressed about this? Okay, is there some thought that comes to mind? There's the trigger. What am I doing? Am I worrying that I'm going to not say the right thing or I'm not going to get a bunch of likes or I'm not going right. to get a bunch of re, you know, reposts or whatever? There's the behavior. What am I getting from this? Oh, nothing. It's not actually helping me be creative with social media. Okay, let me try something else. Well, let's just be curious and then get it. It opens up to being 
opens us up to being creative. So same thing, social media, one is stressing us out all day. Another is helping us not only rediscover, but keep perpetuating being curious. Like curiosity feels great. It feels so much better than being anxious. You're pretty smart. It's true. It's, it's weird because I would get really stressed out about making these videos. And then I realized the other day, I was like, wait, I can make any video I want. You know what I mean? Instead of being yeah. like, oh, it has to be like this. It has to be like that. I can do anything no. I want. Yeah. Like, why do we always think it has to be like this or it has to fit into this box or, you know, with something, let's say like social media. But I don't think most people or it's never put in this way, like with CBT and um, DBT therapy, I couldn't tell from the book, but I feel like you don't think they work. (laughs) (laughs) By the way, I agree with you, but I I, I couldn't really tell. I was like, is this what he's trying to say about the horse and the rider and the horse is more powerful? But I'd love for you to speak a little about those two methods because I don't think they're helpful if you tend to overthink. Yeah, so let's let's focus on cognitive behavioral therapy. That's yeah. I was formally trained in CBT during residency. I you know, I practice it. I don't practice it now. But one of the and CBT is gold standard for right. a lot of things, you know. So it's it is what people use these days. Some of it is helpful. I'm just saying Yeah. So one of the one of the concerns that I had from a neuroscientific standpoint is you know, our cognitive control relies on the prefrontal cortex, which is the youngest and the weakest part of our brain. Now, when we get stressed- I didn't know that. That's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. So, you know- What it's, is it's, that though? What does that serve for people that don't know? Like what, it, can you give the us prefrontal the prefrontal cortex? Yeah. So it's- So many people think aren't- Think of it as the thinking and planning part of our brain. And that's the weakest? Yeah. What's well, the youngest? You know, it's kind of like, you know- the older, yeah, it's it's the weakest. We it's the last part of the brain that has evolved that we know of. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So imagine. I feel like mine guess, is on overdrive. <laughs> yeah, and guess what happens when we get stressed or anxious? Which part of the brain goes offline first? That one. Yes. <laughs> so, do you want to rely on the weakest link to help you? You know, for example, in my patients with addictions, there's this saying: "Hungry halt," which is hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Okay. So that's when people are most vulnerable to relapse. And it's not just for hardcore addictions. That's when somebody's, you know, stress eating or, you know, binge watching Netflix or whatever, right. whatever our addiction is, that's our prefrontal cortex saying, you know, I'm overheating here. I need, you know, you just do what you do. And then we rely, we fall back on our old habits. Right. So why would I want to trust a, a treatment that focuses on that? when we could actually take a neuroscience approach and say, okay, what's the strongest part of the brain? Let's start there. And that's so the that's, habit part of the so brain. That is what CBT focuses on that part of the brain, really. Yeah. It's, it's called cognitive therapy for a reason. You know, you're right. using your cognition and the, you know, the one liner on it, and I don't want to sound like I'm belittling it, but there's a, the, no the one is for it. CBT therapy, but no, I'm just <laughs> go on. I know you don't sound like that. I, yeah. So the, the, the way I learned the catchphrase is it's, uh, the catch it, check it, change it. So if you have a cognition that's driving you nuts, you know, you catch it. Mm-hmm. So there, there's a shared piece there between mindfulness and CBT there. You have to be aware of what's happening or you can't work with it. The next thing is to check it. So you have to use your cognition. You got to think through and be like, oh, is this true? Is this accurate? You know, whatever. So that takes your thinking part of the brain and then change it. So change it to a better cognition. Um, the, the last two steps require that thinking part of the brain to actually be functioning. It's just, I'm so in my head and it just put me more in my head. Even doing DBT therapy, I had someone that he was, he was a lot about mindfulness and he would be like, I want you to just practice, go outside, look at a plant, look at the leaf and just look at the color, but don't be critical. But what do you, th- I, would, I would be like so annoyed. I'm like, why am I looking at this fucking plant? I'm getting more annoyed. Like, I, like what? what a waste of money this therapist is. I, I, why did my shrink recommend? Like, I just go into like a whole, yeah. it's not helpful. Yeah. So here, the first thing somebody has to do is know how their mind works. You know, that's right. why that's why we've set up you know, our digital therapeutics to start with, hey, we're going to teach you how your mind works in a way yeah, that's mind pragmatic. Will go into the, down the like rabbit hole. Yeah. Like, yeah. like it's just not going to stay on a leaf. I don't know. So, but DBT, what is the different, the, the, 
the dialectic, it's. Yeah, dialectical behavioral therapy. Dialectical, okay. I don't so, know it as much about DBT, but I do know that they do try to incorporate some mindfulness components. But as you're pointing out, if they're not, if it's not brought forward in a way that helps a patient understand them, then you're going to be, why am I staring at this fucking leaf? All right. So you're really against CBT therapy. Good to know. <laughs> so that's where mapping out our minds is a great place to start. That's why I rec, you know, that's what I do in my clinic. That's what we've done with our app-based mindfulness training programs. You know, for example, our unwinding anxiety program, we did two clinical studies. We got a 57% reduction in clinically validated anxiety scores in anxious physicians. We got a 67% reduction in these scores in people with generalized anxiety disorder. These are the Olympians of worrying and they're getting, they're, they're reducing on average their anxiety by 67%. From the app? Yes. Wow. From an app. <laughs> From an app. It's, the app is, is helpful and it, it helped me I don't want to say I've quit, but I haven't had a cigarette in two weeks. Oh, nice. Yes. So I don't want to say, I don't know. There's, I'm not ready to say I've quit, but your little cartoon did help me, you know, <laughs> of like the gross cigarette and the cigarette representing, you know, cool. And now it represents death yeah, <laughs> or, basically. you know, yeah, that you have to associate. It's what you're associating that, that object with. Like when you well, talk about also, like birthday parties growing up, the cake represents something fun, positive, your childhood. Yeah. Yeah. And when we really pay attention, when we smoke a cigarette, you know, that's what I have my patients do. I say, pay attention when you smoke. I don't even tell them to quit. I just say, really pay attention with each drag. And nobody has come back and said, oh, Dr. Judd, thank you so much for helping me see how delicious cigarettes are. I don't know. They're like, that tasted like crap. How did I not see that 30 years ago? Well, I would roll mine. So they were pretty good. Does, does superheated smoke really taste that good going into your lungs? Does, but I, uh, uh, and also like full disclosure, I, my, I went up on my Wellbutrin and I, you know, Wellbutrin kind of helps you not want cigarettes. So mm. I can't totally give it to you in the app. I think it was. You don't have to. <laughs> it's just great. You're it's just great that you have not smoked a cigarette in two weeks. Yeah. Well, there must be some connection, but it, yeah, like I'll just go. I've even been like angry or annoyed and, you know, going to smoke, like something happens and sets me off, but then I don't want to, like I go to, it and I'm like, I don't want this. Yeah. So yeah, that, that's a change in the reward value in your brain. And that's what changes habits is saying, eh, this isn't really that great. Yeah. It's not going to fix my stress. And no, it's, it's really not helped my like less, I have less anxiety, not smoking. Hmm. Even but better. How do I get the shopping? out of there. That's much harder. <laughs> so this is the piece where the, the second part of my book, I talk about this reward value piece. And right. so when you are stress shopping or when you're going online to do this, you can ask yourself in the act, you can ask yourself, what am I getting from this? Is this solving my stress or is this creating more stress? Because I'm going to get this thing. I'm going to say, oh, it doesn't really fit that well. I'm going to have yeah. to package it back up. I'm going to have to send it back. And then think of all of the carbon units that have been involved in no, this it's transaction. True, it's wasteful. Yeah. 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 So when you look at that and you you ask yourself, what am I getting from this? That helps your brain get disenchanted. And it's like, oh, yeah, it's really not that great. Right. All right. That's harder for me. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. So again, with mindfulness training, you stated mindfulness training works best with depression and anxiety. Is that accurate? An accurate. The the most research has, has shown that the, you know, the most studies have consistently shown depression and anxiety. Yes. Okay. And that with depression, you get stuck in the past anxiety, mm -hmm. you're stuck in the future, which I yeah, think is yeah. a really simple, great way of describing each. Cause it's true. When I get really depressed, I'm thinking about all the mistakes I made anxiety. It's like, what's going to happen. Is this going to go right? Um, what is your definition of mindfulness? Because I think when a lot of people hear mindfulness, it's super annoying. Like even yeah. when I heard my, I was like, oh, here we go. He's going to have me look at a plant. This is going to be super <laughs> annoying. Like I, I, I like to meditate. So, because it's, it's 
it's such a widely used word right now. And I think it has, people have different definitions of it. Yeah, it could mean anything to anybody. So the way to keep it simple and straightforward yeah. is really looking at the concrete core elements. And really there are two. One is awareness. So we have to be aware of something. And two is bring this attitude of curiosity. So we could be looking at something. We'd be like, oh, there's that green leaf. Oh, that sucks. Why am I looking at a stupid green leaf? Or we could be looking at that leaf and just going, getting curious, like, oh, what are the patterns, you know, in the veins of the leaf? What, what's that green actually look like? What, what that does is help us stay right in the present moment, but it also helps us see when we're bringing judgments in, because if we're bringing that curious mindset in, it helps us see when we've got habitual patterns where we're like, oh, I hate that. And I like that, you know, and we're always either running toward pleasant things or running away from unpleasant things, but we don't know that because it's habitual. Right. What we can do when we bring awareness and curiosity in is we can see those habitual patterns of the mind by standing still and watching our mind want to run this way and that way. So when someone says, this is how I've always been, mm -hmm. if a patient comes and says that to you, what do you say? Well, I, I, you know, I, I love this quote from Alan Watts. You know, he was this philosopher from the 70s. Uh, and he said, the ego, he which believes himself to be is nothing but a pattern of habits, if I've got that quote right. Is that We're a not, quote? I, I don't remember if it is okay. in that one. I might have put it in my other book, but it, either way, it's a great quote. You know, that yeah. he which believes himself to be is nothing but a pattern of habits. So if somebody says, this is the way I've always been. I asked them, well, what are you talking about? You know, is it, you know, which part of you has always been? And we can look at anything. We can look at a thought and we can say, is it always this way? Or one thing when somebody says, oh, I have this craving, it lasts forever. I say, well, how many cravings have you had that have lasted forever? Because if they have, they'd be stacking up right now, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Nobody's had a craving that's lasted forever. And so right. if we really just look at our experience, our mind right now says, oh, this is unpleasant. It feels like it's been this way forever because it's unpleasant. But the reality is it's been around for, you know, a couple of minutes, generally. I even have people, you know, when they have a craving, I have them time it. How long is your craving? I think the record has only been 13 minutes. You know, it's really, really not that long, but it seems like it lasts forever. Okay. Because the sensations, they really actually just come and go. You know, yeah. it, it, even, even as unpleasant as they are, they come and go. Yeah. And I guess it's also that language is important when there's one of, I don't know what lesson it was where you were like, oh, we talk about, go, you were talking about taking out the trash mm -hmm. and how your ad is it attitude is everything or. Yes. yes. And so that if we say to ourselves, or at least for me, like, oh, that's how I've always been last minute, getting this interview, last minute, getting this together, last minute, organizing the shoot, then that is how you're always going to be. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, yeah, because we're going to just saying it, it doesn't change it. It's like the curiosity. Right. So if we think this is the way it's always going to be, it's because we're setting it up to be that pattern. Right. You know, it's, it's kind of like the best predictor of future behavior is past behavior. And in yeah, the what, present what moment, you say that, what, what do you say? Well, I say, well, that, that is how our brain works because it tries to predict the future based on the past, but we can actually change that in the present moment. If we see, oh, the past is a habit pattern. I have the opportunity to change this right now. Let's go. Then I can actually change the future in the right. present moment. So, but is it, are you against like uncertainty? No, uncertainty is the only certain thing in life. Right. But then you talked about the, the subway system, you know, yeah. and how they would, and how with ways or, you know, certain, like I actually am okay when I'm traveling with uncertainty. I don't know why, but I don't mm -hmm. get nervous on a, plane. I'm not someone that has to know, okay, how many minutes is it going to take us to get there? For my family, they're like psychotic. They have to have the ways going. My dad needs to know when am I turning three? I mean, it's like ridiculous. I'm like, I'll let you know, but they, he has to know. Yeah. So, but if you're for uncertainty, why is that a good thing? Knowing like, oh, the train's five minutes away, you know? Yes. I didn't so understand that. Like, I guess, um, correlation when you were talking about that in the book. Yeah, think about it this way. Our brains don't like uncertainty. And what it does is it drives us to get information. Right, Maybe the right. best analogy is if our stomach is empty and it's signaling our body, uh, signaling to us that our body needs calories. 
and then it urges us to go get food. Okay. Our brain rumbles in the same way that our stomach rumbles, you know, when we don't have information. So that uncertainty says, go get information. And that's mm-hmm. helpful for survival. You know, if we're, if we are ancient ancestors, they heard a rumbling in the bush, you know, that uncertainty says, oh, I don't know if that's dangerous or not. They could either carefully go look or they could run away. And both of those are going to help them survive by decreasing that uncertainty. So it's not that uncertainty is a bad thing. It's just that we have lost our ability to tolerate distress because uncertainty feels uncomfortable. It says do something. Right. And what do we do now? We pick up our weapons of mass distraction and we distract ourselves with our phones because we're like, oh, that feels bad. Oh, it's a, it's a red light. I have to sit here for 30 <laughs> seconds. Yeah. This is terrible. Make it go away. Oh, I'll look at my phone. And then right. we just get these, you know, we get in these habit loops where we just want to d- make that uncertainty go away or, and we distract ourselves by doing that. So if you look at the subway system, people, you know, it helps decrease the collective stress if people know when the train is going to come, is it an existential threat if they don't know when the train is going to come? <laughs> no, but it just helps the collective uh, anxiety where people are like, oh, train's 13 minutes away. Okay. That's one thing I don't have to stress about just because that's the habit is like, I don't know. Okay. Let me get stressed about that as compared to, I don't know. Hmm. What's it like to not know? Right. So most of us move into our panic or anxiety zone rather than into our growth zone when there's uncertainty. That's what we all need to collectively change is to be okay with uncertainty because that's the only certain thing. Yeah. And like, and like we were saying in the beginning, that's why I think COVID for so many people, obviously it was so much uncertainty, Mm -hmm. you know? So are there any habits that are good? A bazillion. Yes. (laughs) Tying our shoes, putting on our clothes, eating food, uh, coffee. But what about like, you were mentioning the puppies, just so everyone knows, he mentions how staring at videos of puppies is bad. Why is that bad? No, I love looking at pictures <laughs> of cute puppies. You're kind of dissing the puppies. No, and no, no. I, I heard you have cats, so I'm just saying. <laughs> I do. So yeah. the, the when this becomes problematic is when we start going to YouTube or Instagram or whatever, and we start looking for cute pictures of puppies when we're stressed, right? If when it okay. becomes a habit loop, so we're stressed, there's a trigger. We go to look for cute pictures of puppies on Instagram or whatever, and then we distract ourselves for a moment. In fact, one of the folks using our own winning anxiety app said that he wrote on our form, he said he created a bot that would automatically tweet cute puppy videos to him so he wouldn't even need to look them up. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Yeah. So there's nothing wrong with cute pictures of puppies, but when we go to puppies to cure our anxiety, it doesn't matter how cute they are. They're not going to cure it. Right. So it's, it's really when you're doing anything to avoid what's going on right now. Yeah, absolutely. And what makes you anxious? (laughs) I don't know. Lots of, there must be something like, you mean you, I, I found it interesting when you talked about how, cause I guess I never think of like any psychiatrist or therapist I've seen being nervous. And you said like, sometimes if someone's telling you something, you can't get in this loop of being nervous cause that's not helpful. But what, what is, is there something that makes you anxious on a daily basis, I guess? Cause you're become, you've become an anxiety expert. Yeah, that's a good question. On a daily basis. I can't think of anything that makes me anxious on a daily basis, but I certainly get anxious, you know, and sometimes anxiety will just show up. You know, I remember just a couple of days ago, I was out for a run and I had this huge amount of just this anxious energy come up, you know, while I was running. So I don't know what, where that came from, but it was there. Yeah. And so, you know, it, it pops up anywhere. I don't have specific, I can't think of a specific habit loop that drives anxiety, although anxiety itself certainly pops up. And I've even had panic attacks. I write about that in my book. Right. Do you believe though that some people do need medication for anxiety? Like some, you can't do it alone or, you know, that it's, it's hand in hand with doing the therapy and, or do you think that's can be a crutch, become a crutch? No, certainly not. And I prescribe medication. So for some people- Oh, good. I have, I want to ask you for some meds. 
I'm joking. <laughs> I'm totally joking. <laughs> yeah. Wait, no, go ahead. For some people, medications can be very, very helpful. Yeah. The problem is there's this term in medicine called number needed to treat. Like how many people you need to treat with a medication before one person benefits. Wait, say that, that again. Num number, number needed, number needed to, treat? to treat. Okay. Yeah. So for example, with our best anxiety meds, that number needed to treat is 5.2. So I need to prescribe uh, five, five, five people, basically five patients, anxiety medications. And one of them is going to show a significant benefit right now. We're not good enough at predicting who that one person is going to be. Okay. So here I like to combine medications with, you know, think of it as medication plus mental training. So some people benefit from medication and it, it really is life-changing for them. Everyone can benefit from mental training. So for example, in our, one of our uh, studies with the Unwinding Anxiety app, our number needed to treat was only 1.6. Really? So, yeah, it was, it was a huge effect. So the idea is virtually anyone can learn how their mind works. Virtually anyone can benefit from mapping out their minds and working with their habit loops around anxiety. And that can be paired with medication for the people for whom medication is helpful. Yeah, no, I mean, I take medication that helps my anxiety, but- mm -hmm. You st I still have those thoughts. I mean, I think one thing, people, some people are just disillusioned that medicine is going to cure everything. It's a cure-all. And I don't think that's accurate. I've never yeah. met anyone that's like, I took this medicine and it's all gone. All my anxiety, all my OCD. I just feel great, you know? Yeah. I don't know anyone either, though. I've had plenty of patients come in and say, can you just prescribe me that, that one thing that you're describing? And I, I have to break the news to them. There, there is no magic pill for that. Although once we learn how our minds work, we can actually change our relationship to those thoughts and we can see, oh, you know, these thoughts, they can be there. They can come and go. I don't need to get rid of them. I don't need to clear my mind or, or whatever. It's okay. It's okay to have these thoughts. It's okay to have distressing thoughts. It's okay to have happy thoughts. The idea is that we're just not running after the happy ones and we're not trying to, you know, shut the distressing ones out of the house because that's not how our brains work. Right. So when you, cause in the app, you do something where you just let the thought come and don't do anything, yeah. which is super annoying. I've, I've been doing it. It's, it's hard. Yeah. It can but be to start. It's just, you're like, Oh God, what is this going to, and then, and, but then it, it goes and wait, I, but I then guess, it goes. And then what? And then you, and then I feel okay. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Smarty pants. No, it's. It's um for me it's it's a really cool way of thinking because I'm so all or nothing and it's true that doing little things every day like with with your mind exercising it like a muscle is so helpful with anxiety and mm -hmm. and intrusive thoughts because if you don't do it every day and exercise it like a muscle it you can't expect to just do it like take a pill it'll be great or I did this course in 24 hours and now everything's better. You know, yeah. it's work. Yeah, it is. And in fact, I, I get this question <laughs> virtually every day. So with our Unwinding Anxiety app, you, you yeah. probably know this, but we have this online community that I moderate and people ask questions. And I get these questions all the time. People say, well, I've been using the program for, this is my sixth day in the program and I've had anxiety for 20 years. Why isn't it gone yet? <laughs> You're like, it's going to take a little more time. Yeah, give it 12 days. <laughs> yeah. Well, how, but that's, it leads, it's interesting that so many people think that a habit is formed in 30 days. You said 21. I had always heard 30. What is now the standard? And then in one part of the book, you say between 18 days and 265 or like well, what? That was, that was just one study. What basically okay. the summary of all of that is, there is no magic number that says, you know, the, I wave my magic wand and in 21 days, you will either break this habit or you will form this habit. That's not how our brains work. Our brains okay. work by based on rewards. So the more we pay attention to whatever it is, if we're trying to break a bad habit, the more we pay attention and see how unrewarding it is, the faster we'll break it. You know, this with this eating study, 15 times, 10 to 15 times, and that shifts for people, right? It doesn't right. take that long. For other people, it can take longer, especially if they haven't really explored that reward value. So they've got to see how unrewarding things like worry and anxiety are, and they've got to see how rewarding things like curiosity and things like kindness are. And the more they can do that, the faster that will shift in their mind.
Yes, even in this past year, you know, with all the mask wearing and when I was still smoking regularly, it was, I really, when I put the mask up, it was like disgusting smell because mm -hmm. I just smoked, sort of forcing me to like take it in. Yeah. Even if you roll your own cigarettes, they still don't. Well, smell no, good. but I mean, honestly, it's, <laughs> but you're okay. They, many people like them. I'm just saying there isn't all that, you know, fiberglass and tar. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, I have to be honest where I've never, I wouldn't smoke and be like, this tastes disgusting. I just started thinking I'm alone. You know what I mean? Like, I have to go outside. None of my friends smoke anymore. I was actually on a group text and everyone was like, remember when we all used to smoke? And meanwhile, I'm like, yeah, like smoking at home. This was a few <laughs> months ago. But you st then in the cartoons, which I wish there was more of them in the app. We're, gonna, we're working saying. on that. Yeah. Because I, I love like the visuals were really helpful. Yeah, yeah. And of just this like being young and it was so cool to smoke. And now it's like, no. But I mean, even with my friend who went through stage four cancer and is now good, thank God, I didn't quit smoking. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, that's that's pretty deep that like things that dire can happen and it's such an addiction. Yeah. If you don't yeah. get your mind in a different set. Yeah. Well, imagine, so for example, I had a patient who'd been smoking 40 years and we calculated wow. the number of times that he had reinforced that habit loop. Are you ready for this? Yes. 293,000 times. How did you even come up with that number? Well, if you think a pack of cigarettes is, you know, 20 cigarettes and if you smoke- I don't know, cause I roll mine, just letting everyone know, <laughs> rolling them, no, no longer. All right, sorry, go on, go on. So what, there's so what, for 20? The, for the average person, you know, pack of cigarettes is 20 cigarettes. Right. You know, times 365 days a year, or you could even cut it down to 360 if you take a couple of days when you're sick or whatever. And right. then you multiply, you know, so it's 20 times 360 times 40. That equals roughly 300,000. Wow. Yeah. And he, is he or she stopped it was smoking? He. Yeah. He stopped yeah. smoking? Yeah. Wow. So you, That's it doesn't take 293,000 quit attempts. It takes paying attention. Right. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. You're ready. What do you do for a mental break? Do you even take a mental break, honestly? Because you're this super smart, successful psychiatrist. So I don't, I don't, well, do you take mental breaks? A lot of what I do is fun. You know, I like, I enjoy geeking out and reading papers <laughs> and things like that. So what do I, but I do take mental breaks and things I'll do. I'll go and um, I'll play with my cats. So we do have cats and, you know, they're oh, a nice mental break. I surf, surfing is a huge. You do? Oh yeah. Rhode Island has really good surfing. Okay. You don't look like you'd be on the, are you wearing that shirt? There's the blue button down shirt every, on the Every time under my wetsuit. <laughs> absolutely. Wet okay. So surf. Yeah. I feel like whenever you do something physical, it, for me, I love working out because it gets you out of your mind. Like you yeah. have to be present. Yeah. My two favorites are surfing and mountain biking. hundred percent. Okay. Um, when is the last time you cried? It was a couple of days ago. Uh, it was two, what is today? Yeah, it was two days ago. Today, Monday? Okay. Yeah, I was listening to a podcast uh, about these uh, this gay couple in New York City, and one of them had found a baby in the subway. What? Yeah, and um, they had end. it was three hours old. And uh, they ended up, long story short, um, you know, the guy has to go, they give it to child custody and the judge says, Hey, would you be interested in adopting this baby? And he's like, what? Oh yeah. You know, and, and long story short, 20 years later, there, this couple's son is now in college. And it was just this heartwarming, beautiful story. The judge ended up marrying the couple when gay marriage became legal in New York, just this whole story. So I was, I was totally bawling at that one. It was a beautiful story. So oh two days gosh. ago, last time I cried. Okay. That's, I feel like that's so rare for the judge to be like, do you want to adopt this baby? She was amazing. I mean, that story is amazing. All right. I'm going to have to look that up. Yeah. I think the podcast is, this is love or something like that. If I remember correctly and okay. your subway that's baby a, or whatever. That's amazing. Yeah. Great story. What are you currently reading? I'm currently reading a book uh, called the comfort crisis. Okay. What is it about? It's about, so this guy talks about um, how we are so used to, we, we 
in the modern world, it's unprecedented how much we can distract ourselves from discomfort. And the more we keep going and going and going toward, toward comfort, basically lose our distress tolerance, the worse off we are from a health perspective. So he, you know, he's a health writer, so he writes about all these things, but he also peppers it in with his own story of going to the Alaskan Yukon uh, to do a, like a 30 day uh, crazy hunting trip. And so I just actually, his book was released today, I think, it, or tomorrow. It was, I got an Comfort advanced crisis? Book. Comfort crisis, yeah. Oh, it was okay. That's, I don't know who it was in your book. I highlighted so many things, but someone was saying about raising kids that you want to have them have praise when they're, like they have to figure things out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was that that woman, Caroline? Where, what was, she had a, a, it rhymed. I love anything that rhymes, you know, for your <laughs> next book, any sentences. There was something like that, you know, because especially I feel like in LA, people overly praise their children nowadays mm-hmm. or anyone. They're just like, this is great when they're, it's not great. They're not that good or everyone's gets an A. So yeah. I need to read this book. Yeah, it's a great book. So, yeah, and, and what you're pointing out is kids need to be able to skin their knees, right? They're not going to die yes. if they skin their knees, right? but they right. actually learn from it. You know, right. they learn from hardship. They learn from discomfort. We all do. Right. But there's, but I feel like parents nowadays don't want to have their kids in any discomfort. Yes. And I think, so it used to be the majority in the big cities. I don't know from what I've seen. Yeah. Yeah. So the term I just learned, so it used to be helicopter parents, you know, where they, now they call it the bulldozer parent where they're just like moving all the obstacles out of the way of their kids, you know, like my kids got to get into Princeton or whatever, you know? Yes. No, it's, you know, like let them, let them fail. That's how they grow. No, it's true. You, I mean, I've learned a lot more from my failures than successes. Same here. That's true. Um, what is the best and worst advice you've ever been given? Some of the best advice. So this, I remember getting, yeah. So when teaching mindfulness, for example, best advice was don't teach beyond your own experience, which is Mm. great. And I think this applies to life. Like don't, you know, somebody asks for advice and you don't have experience with something, just say, I don't know. (laughs) It's okay. (laughs) Everyone thinks they're an expert in everything. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, I know. I know. It sounds crazy. You know, just say, I don't know. Okay. And the worst, boy, I tend not to hold on to worst advice because it's just not very good, you know? (laughs) so funny. There's so many people that have said that. And of course I, because I like to like, I hold on to all the worst advice. So it's, but sometimes it can be good advice. Like you did the opposite, you know? Yeah, I can't, you know, it's like stick your finger in this light socket. You know, I just can't think of bad advice that I can't remember because I don't remember it because it was bad. All right, well, that's good to know. Um, what Instagram this is the final question, what Instagram account or Twitter? Cause I don't, I don't know if you're an avid, you know, Instagrammer, would you find uplifting? Like, is there things that you look at daily online that are uplifting? Cause so much stuff I think can either mess with your head or be such a downer. So I always like to ask people. It's a great question. I don't know. Uh, cause I don't really spend time <laughs> on Instagram or uh, Twitter looking for uplifting things. I you know. <laughs> I'd prefer to look at my own experience. It's a little more uplifting than Instagram and Twitter. Right. right. Yeah. I mean, do you think that will ever go away? People's addiction to social media and their phones? It it will change. I'm not sure how we know how it will change yet, but it will definitely change because it will, you know, just like fashions, right. you know, it taps into this fundamental aspect of our brain, this reward system. But our brains also become habituated and become, you know, tired of things. And so, you know, there, I think it will morph and change. It's just a matter of how. Okay. Well, that's it. That's all. (laughs) Those are all the questions I have, except, I mean, I'm sure I'm going to think of many more when I go back and over your book. Is there anything you have? Well, that book just recently came out though, didn't it? Unwinding Anxiety? It uh, came out in March. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode and shouts out to Dr. Judd for joining me. Uh, We're so thrilled to have you. Where can our listeners find you? Even though you said you don't, you're not on Twitter or or you're not avidly on Twitter. I'm not. So I'm on Twitter at Judd Brewer, J-U-D-B-R-E-W-E-R. I'm on Instagram at at Dr. Judd, D-R period J-U-D. 
but really, I've you know I've got a website that's just drjud.com that has you know a bunch of free resources. People can get access to the apps, to the books, etc. That's that's the best place to go. And I highly recommend um, his TED Talk. Oh yeah, I did that too. Is there anything that you have coming up? Well, your book just came out. It's like you have so much stuff already out. Is there anything you want to tell anyone? Uh, you want to say about mindfulness, blue shirts, habits? <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll say this. I, one of my favorite quotes is by mm -hmm. this poet, James Stevens, where he says that curiosity will conquer fear even more than bravery will. And so if people remember nothing but that, curiosity will conquer fear even more than bravery will. Okay, that's pretty cool. All right, well, that's all folks. Be sure to subscribe on Apple and Spotify and tune in next time. Thank you for tuning in to Ben Better, How About You? To learn more, please visit benbetterhbu.com and check out our Instagram, bbhbu. Slide into our DMs with your questions and or comments. Also, be sure to subscribe for your weekly prescription. This pharmacy is open 24 seven.